Leviticus chapter number 10. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you've given us this time. Lord, we were not owed this time, but you in your grace and mercy have given us an opportunity to gather together, to sing these wonderful songs, to feel the Spirit of God stirring in us already. Lord, we've come to Your Word now. It, Father, is our meat. It is our bread. It is the substance of our life. And so I pray this morning that we would have hungry hearts, and, Father, that we'd have open ears, and that we would be willing to hear and receive what You would have for us this morning. Bless the preaching with power and unction for Your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 10 contains what a lot of people have called the sin of strange fire. God has just uh, dictated to Aaron and to his sons uh, all of the precepts uh, for the ministration of the priesthood. And he has laid out just exactly how he wants the priesthood to operate. Let me say to you this morning uh, that God has a certain way he wants himself approached. Amen? Hey, it's all right. I know you all don't know what to do with all this sunshine. Amen? But we can worship this morning. I was driving down the road, I looked like some kind of strange nocturnal creature. I had my eyes squinted trying to figure out what this sunshine is after two weeks of just gray and rain. But it's all right, amen. Like Brother Jim said, hey, it ain't just that the sun is shining, the sun is raining, amen. We worship Him this morning, so go ahead and get the cobwebs out. Let's get our hearts open and uh, hear and receive the Word of God. So God had given these uh, precepts unto the priesthood. And there was a certain way He wanted folks to approach unto Him. And to this day, God still has a certain way He wants to be approached. I'm glad we don't have to go through a human priesthood. Somebody say amen there. I do believe in the individual priesthood of the believer, of every believer, uh, that once we know Christ is our Savior, then we become priests unto the Lord, and we can approach unto God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. But uh, at this time in human history, God had given these ordinances of how the priesthood was to be uh, orchestrated and organized. And the Bible says, and by the way, God has just got through giving these precepts. I mean, if, if God was writing it on paper, we would say that the ink hadn't even dried yet. And before mankind has gone three steps, they've already messed up. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they go and they offer what the Bible calls strange fire. And we'll say a little bit about what that means here in a moment. But they offered it unto the Lord. God had not commanded them to offer this offering unto Him. The Bible says that fire came from the Lord and devoured them. And uh, Moses says this unto Aaron. Now remember, Aaron is a grieving father. But God still speaks truth, regardless of our emotions. Amen? Your emotions don't change the truth. Uh, Your grief doesn't change the truth of the matter. And so God speaks to Aaron through Moses. Moses says, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, what was God saying there? God was saying, I warned you about this. 
And I told you that you had a choice. Hey, I'm going to receive glory one way or the other. I'll either receive glory by people seeing you come unto me and me receive the sacrifice, or I'll receive glory by my wrath being poured out. But one way or the other, uh, the children of Israel, they're going to know that God's real. Amen? Hey, there's different kinds of fire. Uh, it, It ought to be that people know God is real in our life. Uh, when they see the fires of God's working in our life and when they see the fire of the Spirit of God burning bright within us. But if we won't yield to the Lord, then they can see God's real by the judgment fires too. Amen? And when I say that, of course, I don't mean in the sense of, of hell or God casting away those that are saved. God eternally saves people. But God can put us through the fire and through the flame if that's necessary in the circumstances of life to get glory out of our life. And so... Uh, God strikes down Nadab and Abihu. Now, uh, let me just for a moment say this. Most people in this room are probably thinking, well, boy, that was a harsh response. If we're being honest, when we read that, most of us probably struggle to understand why God would respond in such a harsh way. Do you know that God loved Nadab and Abihu just like He loved the woman at the well, uh, just like He loved the woman taken in adultery, just like He loved the, uh, the paralyzed man by the pool of Bethesda? God's love never changes. And God had the same love towards Nadab and Abihu that He has to you and I today. And so when God did this, it was not something God did lightly. Uh, God responded in judgment and in punishment because of the measure of what they did. Now, you may not realize it, but what they did when they trespassed was a very serious thing. Think one of the things you and I being Gentiles, and we are Gentiles. I guess we are. I don't know. There might be some Jewish people here today. I'm a Gentile. I'm a hillbilly. Amen. And being such, uh, and being so removed from that system of the priesthood, I think it's hard for us to understand sometimes just how serious it was. I mean, this was a serious matter. In fact, the Bible says that uh, God prescribed for Aaron that when he went into the Holy of Holies, they were to put bells in the hem of his garment so that if he was to be struck down dead because of sin in his life, they would know and they'd be able to pull his lifeless body out of the holy place without themselves having to enter in and be struck down dead. It was a serious thing to approach unto the living God. And to this day, let me remind you, it's still a serious thing to approach unto the living God. It's a serious thing to go into God's presence. So God strikes down Nadab and Abihu. There's a couple questions I think are worth asking before we preach on this. I think the first thing we have to ask is, why was it strange fire? In fact, the Bible tells us that God had prescribed for an altar of incense to be built and placed within the tabernacle. God had prescribed for coals to be taken and incense placed upon it. Uh, They were not uh, sacrificing a human being. They were not worshiping the moon. They were approaching unto God with some semblance that God had asked them to. Why was it that it was so strange? Well, I can see about three reasons that it could have been strange. And it may be that it was one of these, although I tend to believe it was probably all three of these as we study our text. Let me say that the first reason I think it was probably strange was because of the composition of the incense that they were using. You know, the Bible gave very strict standards as to what kind of incense they could burn on the altar. In fact, in Exodus chapter number 30, verses 34 through 36, the Bible says this, The Lord said unto Moses, uh, Take unto these sweet spices, Stacte and Onica and Galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight. 
And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. So God didn't want just any old incense being brought to him. God wanted a very specific type of incense brought before him. And in fact, he says in Exodus chapter 30, ye shall offer, in verse 9, no strange incense thereon, speaking of the altar of incense. Now, you might say, preacher, it's all good and everything, and I understand it's in the Bible, but what does it have to do with me? You know, the first thing it teaches us when we consider this, that the substance of our life matters. The substance of our life matters. In other words, it matters of what sort it is. Now, I want you to hang with me here in a moment. You don't, you don't know we're preaching yet, but we are, and you'll catch up here in a second. Uh, we live in a day where we're told that all things are relative. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you believe. All that matters is you're a good-hearted person and you try your best. i got news for you. That may be the world's philosophy, but that's not God's philosophy. That may be the world's mantra, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. There is right, there is wrong. There is true, there is false. And our lives are either in line with what is right and true, or they're in line with what is false and what is wrong. The way you live and how you behave matters. The substance of your behavior matters. Your intentions matter as well, but not near as much as the actual substance. We live in a day where people say, well, you know, they meant well. Well, that may be true, but I found this to be true. Usually if a person means well long enough, they'll eventually get it right. I think a lot of it in this world is we just want to live the way we want and then back up and say, well, I meant well. Well, did you? Uh, One of two things. Listen, I want you to listen carefully and I want you to receive this with grace. If all of your life you're trying but failing and meaning well, then that means one of two things. You're either a liar or you're incompetent. Now, I'm just being honest with you this morning. Either it's not really that you meant well, you meant to do what you meant to do, and you meant to have happen what happened, or you literally just can't even get up and brush your teeth in the morning. Everything you do goes wrong. You meant well, but oh well. Now, I want you to understand me. We all make mistakes, and we all do things wrong in life. Uh, None of us are perfect, and I'll be the first one to admit that. My wife will give a hearty amen. She lives with me. She knows. But the truth is, if you mean well, eventually you'll do well. If you mean well, eventually you'll do well. Your intentions matter to a degree. But hey, listen, the way you live matters too. The substance of it mattered. It could be that they took incense that was not in accordance with what God commanded. Now, there's another possibility. The Bible says that they took coals and put the incense thereon, but we're not told where these coals came from. And God had given clear instruction as to where the coals were to come from uh, to burn the incense. In Leviticus chapter uh, 16, uh, God tells us that they were to take the coals off of the brazen altar. That brazen altar burned night and day, and they were continually offering a burnt offering unto God. Now, why did that matter? Here's why it mattered. Because God Himself had lit that brazen altar. God Himself had birthed the fire that was on that altar. And the priests were called to take wood and to take sacrifices and to perpetuate it. But the source of that fire was heaven itself. It reminds me of this, that not only does the substance of our life matter, the source of our behavior matters. Where did it come from? I want you to listen carefully. This is not popular, what I'm about to say. But for far too long... Uh, the people of God 
have taken worldly principles and ideals and tried to adjust them for church purposes and use them as the means of uh, growing the local church. The source of what we do matters. Not just the substance, that does matter. But here's the question, where did it come from? Can I ask you a question this morning? Where would your behavior come from? Where would your culture come from? Hey, where would your music come from? Where would your entertainment come from? Where would your ideology come from? Uh, It matters. Hey, listen, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. A bitter spring can't bring forth sweet water. And the truth is, if we're not getting our truth from the Word of God, then we're not getting our truth from the source of truth. They burned with these coals because it came from heaven. We don't know, and it reminds us that substance matters and source matters. But there is another possibility. If you'll notice in our text, it does not say that the incense was strange. And the first time it uses the word fire, it doesn't say the fire was strange. But it says that once these two things were combined, it became strange fire when it was offered unto the Lord. There is a third possibility. It is possible that the reason it was strange fire was not because there was anything wrong with the incense, not because there was anything wrong with the fire, but because they were offering it at an unauthorized occasion to God. You see, the incense was only to be burned with the morning and the evening sacrifice. And it could be that Nadab and Abihu took and made a sacrifice at a time that the Bible says which the Lord had commanded not, that they approached unto God in their own strength and in their own wisdom. And it reminds me of this, that the circumstances of our behavior matter. There are some things that might not be wrong for you to do intrinsically, but if you do them in a certain situation or circumstance... God's going to hold you accountable. Can I give you an example? When the Lord came, or when the devil came and tempted the Lord in the wilderness, did it ever dawn on you that all three of the things that Satan tempted the Lord to do, none of them were wrong in and of themselves? He tempted him to turn a, piece, a stone into a loaf of bread and to eat it. That wasn't wrong. In fact, we'll find all through the Bible that Christ sat down and ate with His disciples. Over and over and over again, He broke bread. How many of us have heard preaching on the feeding of the 5,000 where He took bread and broke it and broke it and broke it? Hey, God ain't against bread. Amen? This low-carb thing ain't from heaven. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, if I can't get you to amen, I'll get you to laugh. This low-carb thing, that ain't, that ain't in accordance with the way the Lord lived His life. He broke bread. It wasn't wrong in and of itself. Also, He took Him up into a high mountain, showed Him all the kings of the world, said, All this can be yours and you'll reign over it. Well, one day He's going to reign over it. It wasn't wrong in and of itself. And then He took Him to a pinnacle of the temple. He said, Cast yourself off and show to the world that you're the Messiah, that the angels will bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with Him being shown to be the Messiah. Uh, Part of our commission is that we tell the world that He is God's Christ and that He's the Son of God. None of these things were wrong in of themselves. What made them wrong? Why did He resist? Because of who was telling Him to do it and because of the circumstances that matter. It wasn't wrong for Him to eat, but it was wrong for Him to give up the spiritual bread that He had been feasting on for the physical bread. Hey, listen, it's not wrong to eat, but when you make yourself an idolater towards things of the flesh, then it becomes wrong. Circumstances matter. The truth is, people are watching your life and they're observing how you live and how you behave. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but one day you're going to give an account. Not you're going to give an excuse, you're going to give an account. You are going to give an account. Not your friend, not your neighbor, not the people that, that, that affirmed your uh, bad behavior, not the people that made excuses and were permissive for your life, but you are going to give an account. And these things matter. 
Now, here's the question. Why was it so serious? Okay, preacher, it was strange incense. Okay, it was strange fire. Okay, it was a strange sacrifice. But why did God kill them over it? Well, I think there's about three reasons it was a pretty big infraction. Number one, they had been instructed by commandment. God had spoken on this matter. And when they transgressed, and we'll say a word about it in a moment, when they stepped over that bound, they were transgressing God's Word. Now, I do believe, and I can show you from the Word of God, the Bible teaches there are degrees of sin. Hey, some be beaten with many stripes, some be beaten with few stripes. There are, Christ said there are weightier matters of law. Now, what makes it weightier? It makes it weightier because God's saying this is a bigger deal. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were seven things. God said these are an abomination. He's not saying the other things are all right. He's saying, I am especially offended by these things. There are degrees of sin. But can I remind you of this? That uh, we don't operate off the, the perspective of trying to say, well, I'll commit a little sin, but I won't commit a lot of sin. You know what James said of that? James said, hey, the same God uh, that uh, commanded thou shalt not uh, kill is the same God that commanded thou shalt not steal. He said the law is almost like a chain. You break one link, you've broken all of it. And he says that we are not as those that exercise thereby. We are as those that exercise according, listen now, to the law of liberty. You know what that means? He's saying this, there are degrees of sin. But we ought to understand that all sin is sin. There may be sins worse than other sins, but all sin is sin. And the same God, listen carefully, that wrote John 3.16 is the same God that wrote the book of Leviticus. The same God that wrote thou shalt not kill is the same God that wrote thou shalt not steal. And they had been instructed by commandment of what God had required of them. Let me say number two, not only had they been instructed by commandment, but they had been enlisted into consecration. God had said about the uh, priesthood that they were to be a holy and separate people. They were not to live like other folks live. They weren't to behave like other folks behave. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter number 40, verses 12 through 14. God says, Thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Wash them with water, and thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments, and anoint him, and sanctify him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons, and clothe them with coats, and thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. God said, Hey, I've took Aaron, I've took Ithamar, I've took Eliezer, I've took Nadab, I've took Abihu, I've set them aside, I've anointed them, I've cleansed them, I've put new garments on them. They are a separate group of people. They're not to be like everybody else. They have been brought into this life of sanctity before God. And when they committed this act, they were transgressing against that calling God had placed on their life. Hey, don't you realize when you got saved, you became something special? Listen, and that's not to say that we are in and of ourselves morally more intrinsically good than a lost person, but it is to say this, that we have been called unto a higher walk. We aren't to live like the world lives. We aren't to behave like the world behaves. Hey, we're part of a royal priesthood. God has called us to walk holy before Him. They had been enlisted into consecration, but then I'd remind you that they had been entrusted with a commission. God had told them that they had a responsibility. In fact, in verse 10, He says to Aaron about the priesthood that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. They had a job to do. They had a responsibility. They had a task to carry out. 
And you and I likewise. Hey, you know the Bible says uh, that God has foreordained us to good works that we should walk therein. Let me say that again. God has foreordained us to good works that we should walk therein. All the Calvinists want to talk about foreordination and everything. I'll tell you what the Bible says about foreordained, that everybody that receives Christ by faith as their personal Savior, God changes them, and they are called to walk holy before Him. The Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Without holiness no man shall see God. We have a responsibility. We've been called to a greater wall. Well, that was a good introduction. I want to give you three things very quickly that I believe made this sin... Let me say, number one, it was sin when they disobeyed the statutes of God. Now, before I get into this, I want to remind you of just what God has said about our lives. We are called a royal priesthood. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 1, 5 through 6, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful priest, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John says again later in chapter 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And Peter says it in no uncertain terms in First Peter chapter 2 when he says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Uh, down in verse number uh, 9 he says this, uh, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous He said, Preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying, just as the Old Testament priests had a responsibility to not play with strange fire, you and I have a responsibility to not play with strange fire. Just as they were called to holiness, hey, we are called to holiness. And God is going to ask us to give an account for our life. Now, I want you to think about three reasons that it was strange fire. And let me say, there's a lot we could say about the modern church movement. There's a lot we could say about modern Bibles when we talk about strange fire. But I want to apply this to our behavior and how we live. And let me say, number one, it's strange fire when we disobey the statutes of God. When we know the Word of God and we walk contrary to it, we are offering strange fire as a sacrifice unto God. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about the sacrifices that we render unto the Lord, that we're to offer the sacrifice of our lips in praise unto God. We're offered a sacrifice of our life. Paul said we're to be a living sacrifice. The way you live, the way you act, the way you behave is a sacrifice unto God. And a lot of us, hey, we've been burning strange fire that God didn't ask for. We've allowed things in our life that aren't in accordance with the truth of the Word of God. I'd remind you this, number one, that... To Aaron and to his sons, God had given a clear command. God hadn't been unclear in what He expected. Don't you understand that you and I, listen, we've been given clear commands as to how we're to live. Now, people want to, some people want to reduce the walk that we have with Christ to merely this uh, ethereal, existential, uh, idyllic thing. 
And I understand, listen, there is a spiritual aspect to our walk with Christ. I understand my salvation is not based upon my good works. I understand that I am justified, seated already together with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. But listen, I may be seated up there, but I'm walking down here. And how I walk down here matters. It matters. God has given a clear command of what He expects out of us. And we could go down through and we could run the laundry list and uh, time would fail us to say all of the things that encompass the notion of godliness. You say, preacher, so how can I do it? You walk in the Spirit of God day by day and walk in line with the truth of the Word of God. God has given a clear command, but then I'd remind you that God has given a concrete command. His command doesn't change. That was the thing that Nadab and Abihu missed, was that God's command, it's not fluid, it's static. You know what that means? Uh, the, the, the difference between fluid and static, you understand the difference between them? Like when you get pain out of your garage and it's been sitting in there for 10, 15 years and it's just set up, that's static. Fluid. Fluid is when you accidentally kick the bucket over and get pain all over your carpet. That's fluid. God's Word is static. It does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. His Word is settled in heaven. If we can just get some of these people down here on earth to understand it's settled here too. His Word is settled. It's absolute. It's concrete. And why can't we all just agree that if something used to be wrong, it's still wrong? Where is this permissive philosophy getting us in society? where we're claiming that every day there's a new set of rules and every day there's a new standard of morality. But isn't it interesting that mankind never calls itself to a higher plane and to a higher walk? It's always regressive. You know the Bible truth to that? It's depraved. You know what depraved means? Depraved means it ain't going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And humankind is depraved. They only get better. They don't get, or they only get worse. They don't get better. The only thing that can raise us out of that muck and my and out of that clay is the Word and truth of God. It's the only thing. God had given a concrete command. It ain't changed. If it was wrong then, it was wrong now. Now listen, I'm a dispensationalist. I understand the reality that God is writing many of these things to the nation of Israel. I understand I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile in this age of grace. But the truths that underlie these things remain unchanged. God was holy then and God's holy now. God expected holiness then and God expects holiness now. Holiness is a real, substantive thing. It was then and it is now. And our lives are either holy or they're not holy. When we disobey the statutes of God, we are playing with strange fire. Uh, They had tried to offer a different type of incense. They had tried to change it, tried to tweak it, or they tried to get the fire from a different source. They just tried to do it their own way. Let me say that not only when we disobey the statutes of God, but number two, it's strange fire when we disregard the sanctity of God. By the way, can I say to you that God addressed all these things already. If you look further down in chapter number 10, the first time God speaks directly to Aaron is in verse number 8. 
And it says this, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. In those three verses that we read, 9, 10, 11, they deal with the three areas that are strange fire. And the first one, of course, is disobeying the statutes of God. He says, listen, you probably wouldn't have done that if you hadn't been drunk. Now, you don't have to believe what I just said, but I believe the Bible teaches it. Why else would God bring that up? Hey, listen, God ain't having a conversation with Himself. He's talking to Aaron. And he's saying this in response. And he's saying about Nadab and Abihu as an example. He's saying, hey, if them boys hadn't been drunk they probably wouldn't have transgressed. He's dealing with their moral failure. But then notice what he says in verse number 10. He says, hey, you ought to put a difference between the things that are holy and the things that are unholy. I want you to understand something. This is a matter of perspective and philosophy and ideals. It's a worldview that Bible believers are called to have. There is a marked difference between what the world is doing and what God is doing. There is a marked difference between how the world wants you to live and how God wants you to live. One of the things as priests unto God we are called to do is to put a difference between the holy and the unholy. Now, again, I could go down the line, I could list you a hundred things in the unholy column and a hundred things in the holy column. But what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is that God sees a difference. We should see a difference. The lens through which we should observe the world should be this. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it holy? Is it unholy? How does it appear in God's eyes versus how it appears in the world's eyes? You should assess and examine every situation by those tenets. There is a difference. And you and I as Bible believers, you and I as Christians, you and I as redeemed people should be markedly different in the way that we live and behave. People should see that we're a peculiar people. People should see that we're different than the world that's around us. Hey, listen, we're salt and we're light. I said this morning to my Sunday school class, salt, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith uh, is it uh, to be salted? It's fit for nothing but to be trodden under. You know what God's saying there? He's saying salt, if it ain't salty, is just sand. That's all it is. I promise you, listen, if you had as much salt as there is sand uh, in the world... And by the way, at that time, salt was a very valuable commodity. You ever heard the phrase, worth their weight in salt, or somebody that's worth their salt? You ever heard that? You know where that comes from? Salt was the metric by which the Romans would uh, judge the value of their slaves. And oftentimes, slaves would be purchased in commodities, and salt was one of the chief and primary ones. When Christ said this, you're the salt of the earth, salt was a precious, valuable thing. Sand was as common as anything. He was saying, don't you realize there ain't a lot of difference between salt and sand. The only difference is the savor that it contains. Don't you understand that, hey, listen, uh, the only difference between who we are and who we were is the salt of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not exuding that, if we're not displaying that, if we're not exhibiting that before the world, then we can have all the labels we want, but we're not going to make a difference. There's a difference between the holy and the unholy. They disregarded the sanctity of God. God said this is a holy place. They treated it as a profane place. 
The term profane, we, we think of it in the idea of profanity as something that's vile. But you know, strictly speaking, the word profane means something that's secular and common. It means profane as opposed to holy. If something's holy and hallowed unto God, meaning it's consecrated, it's special, it's precious in the eyes of God, then something that is profane is something that's common, something that's everyday, something that there's nothing special about. And listen, when they offered strange fire, they treated Jehovah's altar like any other altar. They treated that incense like any other incense. They treated that fire like any other fire. Their great sin was that they didn't put a mark between the holy and the unholy. And many of us, the sacrifices that we're offering to God and the way that we live, we're offering strange fire. We're not putting a difference between the holy and the unholy. I grew up and I don't know. I'm going to say this. I don't know if I should or not, but here we go. I grew up in Christian education, and I love Christian education. I believe in it. I think it's good. And um, I remember growing up, uh, we were taught that anything that was not gospel music was sinful and wrong. Anything, no matter what it was, you know, uh, it, it was sinful and it was wrong. Now, can I say this? Most of it that's not is. Most of it that's not is. But, I, you know, I've always been of this belief, instead of trying to take that which is holy and make it sensual so it appeals to our flesh, I think the more biblical perspective is this. There can be secular things in our life as long as they're not sinful. There are things that are secular that are not sinful. I mean, hey, listen, singing the Battle of New Orleans is not sinful. You know, they had a little bacon, right? I don't think that's sinful. I don't think God sits up in heaven and goes, Oh, that Johnny Horton. We'd just deal with him. We'd have everything squared away. I, I don't think God minds that. Now, there is a lot of stuff that's, that's sinful. Don't misunderstand me. Hey, listen, uh, the, there is a lot of stuff that's wicked. But I, I, I believe it would be far better if we did this. Instead of trying to make the holy the secular, keep the secular from being sinful and let it be secular. Let it have its appropriate place as long as it's not sinful. But instead, let our lives be consumed with that which is holy because it's a living sacrifice. And instead of... You know, that's where a lot of that Christian rock junk came from. Oh, hey, we're going to take that rock music and we're going to make it Christian. And, 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 and that, it's bad gospel music and it's bad rock music. Somebody say amen to that. Nonsense. Instead, here, we ought to keep the holy things holy. Nothing wrong with that. Keep the holy things holy. We don't have to live with rose-colored glasses. We don't have to pretend that the world is falling at our every whim and footstep. But we do need to understand that God has called us to a higher way of living. And we ought to keep holy things holy. We ought to put a difference between the two of them. And your life ought to be focused and prioritized around the holy things of God. People ought to see your life and see there's something different about it. They ought to see your life and see that God's saved you and changed you and called you to something. They disregarded the sanctity of God. And I'll give you a couple things. Just I've got them written down so you're going to get them. Number one, they defiled their calling. Uh, they were called to be holy while they were in there. And they defiled that calling. And then number two, they defiled their consecration. Again, verse 9, I believe that the reason the Lord says that, don't drink wine or strong drink when you go into the tabernacle, I, I believe that they got drunk before they went in there. And I believe that's why they did what they did. If they hadn't, listen, if they hadn't defiled themselves personally, then they would not have defiled themselves ministerially. 
And by the same token, listen, if we'll keep ourselves pure in our private life, we'll find that our public life will be pleasing unto God too. It always goes from the inside out. And I'll give you one final thing. I'll be done. Not only when we disobey the statutes of God are we playing with strange fire. Not only when we disregard the sanctity of God are we playing with strange fire. But I would remind you that when we disdain the sovereignty of God, we are playing with strange fire. You know the most egregious thing about what they did? You know what, what is really... Because when you look at it, when you examine you say, well, they transgressed God's commandment. That's true. Uh, we transgressed God's commandment. They weren't the first people to ever commit a sin, right? But God didn't consume everybody with fire. He consumed them. And it wasn't even as much that they treated the altar as less than what they should have. Because here's the reality. Later on, you'll see in the Bible many times. In fact, I was reading last night where the Bible talked about how the the priests profaned the temple and were guiltless because of uh, the way that they had ate the showbread and God seeing the necessity of it. I don't even think it was that. You know, the thing that I think was so egregious was this. That they looked at it and they said, we know better than God knows. We know better than God knows. I don't know if it was the incense, I don't know if it was the fire, or I don't know if it was the occasion. But whatever it was that constituted this strange fire, they deviated from God's way and went their own way. They said, we know better than God knows. Now, this is a broad spectrum that encompasses many things that we do. Anytime you sin, you're claiming that you know better than God knows. But many of us, we live our entire lives pursuing our own path and dismissing God's path. When was the last time you asked yourself this question? Am I doing the will of God? Am I doing the will of God? God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. Is my life living out in accordance with that plan? Where you work, who you surround yourself with, the way that you behave, the way that you spend your time and invest your money and your energy... Are you doing the will of God? Now, I'd remind you, truth is static. Truth is absolute. There is right, there is wrong, there is holy, there is unholy. And you are either doing the will of God or you are not doing the will of God. We spent a little time this morning in Romans 12 in Sunday school. I can't tell you the numbers of times growing up I heard people talk about that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I don't know, man, I, I didn't think I paid attention in English class, but I must have paid attention better than them. Because they thought it said those good and acceptable and perfect wills of God. But that's not what my King James Bible says. My Bible says the perfect and acceptable. Actually, it says that perfect and acceptable and and good will of God. It's one will. Not three wills. Not not a permissive will. Not a perfect will. No, it's one will of God. And we're either walking in it or we're not walking in it. There was one way they would offer those sacrifices. And they didn't offer them that way. And the reason they didn't was because they thought they knew better than God. How are you living your life? Are you playing with strange fire? By going your own way? Doing your own thing? Is there something in your life that God has spoken to you directly on, either this morning or in time past already, and you've not dealt with it? And you're bucking against God's authority, and you're saying, No, Lord, I can handle it. I can do it. I'll do it my way. You're playing with strange fire when you do that. And you know what you'll find? The fire that they kindled wasn't the same fire that consumed them, but it was fire just the same. You know what you'll find? It just may be the very thing that you're persisting after may be the very thing that becomes your downfall. Don't play with strange fire. When we go our own way, when we do our own thing, we're saying, Lord, I know, and you don't. We see their arrogant pride, but we see their alternate path. I can do it. I can handle it. 
Hey, how many years you've been saying that? And how has it worked for you? I can do it. I can handle it. I know better than God. Oh, the arrogance and pride of the human heart that we would think sitting down here that we know more than God sitting up there. And yet we're all guilty of it. Maybe one of these areas of your life you've had some strange fire kindled lately. Maybe you've been disobedient to the Word of God. Uh, Maybe you've disregarded the sanctity of God. Maybe you've treated your life just as any other life. Hey, so many Christians aren't living up to what God has called them to. So many Christians aren't living up to the level in life that God has called them to. Or maybe what you've been doing is going your own way. Whatever it is this morning, why don't you listen? Why don't you extinguish that strange fire? Won't you find a place at this altar and say, Lord, I've done this, I've messed up, I've sinned. Please forgive me of it, cleanse me of it, and help me to get my life in line and in tune with you. And let our lives be the kind of sacrifices that are well-pleasing unto Him. Let's bow together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Musicians going to slip to the piano. But now listen, you don't have to wait for the first note to be played. You don't have to wait for amen to be uttered. You just go ahead and mind God, and you go ahead and slip out and come and deal with the Lord this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you for this time. I pray that your people would be obedient unto you. I pray we'd not let this strange fire burn on our altars, but, God, that we'd be willing to only have pure fire burning in our lives and let our lives be instructed and in line with the truth of the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Ghost. Bless this invitation, we ask it in Jesus' name, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. She's going to begin to play as soon as she's ready. The altar's open. Now's your opportunity. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Slip down to this altar and deal with the Lord. Don't let that strange fire keep burning, because eventually it'll overtake you. Get it snuffed out today. Get only that pure fire on the altar of your life today. Whatever it is that God has addressed... He addressed it because it matters. He addressed it because He expects you to respond. Now respond to Him today. Don't play with fire. Find a place at this altar. Say, Lord, cleanse me of it.